Welcome to the Prioritizing Prevention Translating Science to Practice podcast. Our goal is to prioritize prevention conversations that matter. Our topic for today is the impact of social media on youth mental health with special guest Jayla Lee. Now here's our host, Holly Raffle. Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Ohio Center of Excellence for Behavioral Health Prevention and Promotion podcast, Prioritizing Prevention, Translating Science to Practice. I'm Holly Raffle, the Faculty Director of the Center, and I'm grateful to welcome our guest, Jayla Lee, to the show. Jayla is a Program Coordinator at Prevention First, and in this role, she supports the agency's workforce development goals by increasing awareness and capacity for substance use and misuse prevention in schools, and in faith-based communities. Additionally, she supports and strengthens existing prevention efforts with minority communities. Jayla has a Bachelor of Science in Public Health and a Certificate in Minority Health from the University of Cincinnati. She is currently an Ohio Certified Prevention Specialist Assistant, or OCPSA, and has been working in the field for over a year. Today, Jayla and I will discuss the mental health effects of social media on youth. Welcome, Jayla. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Jayla, you recently designed and gave a presentation titled The Mental Health Effects of Social Media on Youth, and I'm so excited to discuss this with you. But first, I'd like to start by learning more about you as a new prevention professional. After graduating with your bachelor's degree in public health and joining the Prevention First team in 2022, you became... Uh, OCPSA. So what excites you about being a new professional in the prevention field? The unknown, because I feel like when I was in college, I never really knew much about about prevention as a whole. It wasn't really kind of shown in college. So when I got the opportunity to go to come to prevention first and to really know what prevention is, I love how every day is different in prevention. It's never the same exact day. And I just love finding out new things, connecting with other people throughout the state of Ohio, even other states like Kentucky, Indiana as well. Absolutely. You're right. Like if you've been to one prevention event or been to one community, you've been to one community. There's always something else to learn. Um, so as you work towards becoming an Ohio Certified Prevention Specialist or OCPS for our listeners out there, what resources have you found that have supported you through this certification process? The number one resource for me is OCAM Network. And if, you know, some of our audience don't know what OCAM is, they see Ohio Coaching and Mentoring. So it's a group of coaches who have years and years of experience in the prevention space and prevention world. And they coach you, they supervise you, they help you fill out your grids that you need for each certification. And then on the website, they have a whole bunch of trainings listed, a bunch of trainings all the way until at least from right now, next year till May, to May 2024, I would say. And it goes on from P1 to P6 in all the certifications. So all the hours you need, we have them on the website, or at least at least not all, we have most of the hours. That's the number one resource that I use to help get my certification, help me progress in my career. Oh, thank you so much. And you obviously are very grounded in the process and supported, but when you talk about P1 through P6, can you help our uh, audience who's plugged in at home know what those P's mean? So P1, P6 is the domains that you need. So for each domain, you need a certain amount of hours for your certification. So P1 is planning evaluation. P2, prevention, education, and service delivery. P3 is communications. 
P4 is community organization. P5 is public policy and environmental change. P6 is professional growth responsibility. P7 is ethics and then PA is culture competency. So you need a certain amount of hours for each, um, for each domain. So all Cam has all the way from P1 through P6 to help you get those certifications, help you get those hours to help you get your OCPS or your OCPC as well. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Shayla, for going through those uh, different domains uh, to becoming a well-rounded prevention professional. So as you um, are going through this process yourself, what advice or words of encouragement would you give to other new professionals or current students who are considering entering the prevention profession? Yeah, some advice I would give them is to keep an open mind. The one reason why I chose public health because I knew once you graduate, it's such a broad major. You can do so many things with public health. So if you're planning on going into prevention, it's going to keep an open mind because you're going to be doing different things every day. Be open to all the possibilities because you can really network and meet new people and really expand your career as a preventionist. So I would say keep an open mind and don't be afraid to be in uncomfortable spaces. Just kind of set yourself, set a good foundation for yourself, talk to people. And yeah, just be yourself and it'll work out in the end. Well, that is just, um, you know, well said and well put. Um, public health means different things to different people. And by allowing yourself to be open to the process, even though it can sometimes make us feel uncomfortable, we can land in destinations that we never imagined. And speaking of being uncomfortable, social media and youth mental health, right? That's really um, a hot topic lately. And it's one that has a lot of tension. Because youth social media use is so prevalent in our society, and we see widespread use and early adoption. You recently presented to prevention professionals at a conference about the effects of social media on youth mental health. And in your presentation, you shared that up to 95% of youth ages 13 through 17 use a social media platform, even though the minimum age required is typically 13, nearly 40% of youth ages 8 to 12 are also using a social media platform. So why did you choose to create this learning opportunity for prevention professionals about this topic? Yes, I chose to create it because the conference that I presented at, it was prevention professionals, but also it was faith-based. There were a lot of faith leaders there. And there is a certain stigma because I do work with the faith communities as well. There is a stigma that a lot of faith communities, they don't realize the effect that social media has on the youth. And a lot of the faith leaders, they are in the older generation. So social media wasn't huge back then. So now they don't really understand. And I think it's important for me to do this presentation to kind of push the knowledge for them and really educate them. And hopefully they can bring that back to their community and their faith community as well. So as you thought about your audience and you thought about the topic, um, which resources did you find the most useful when you were um, putting together your presentation? When I was researching and finding my resources, I used a couple different. I used the World Council of Churches. They had great information on social media youth and what it means in the faith community. I used the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I was inspiration from presentations that I've seen in the past about social media, about youth. And I also took some of my own knowledge that I've just kind of known and kind of seen throughout all my all my years of being a youth as well and being in the prime in the prime time of how social media has a huge effect on our youth as well. That's the main resource that I use for this project, for this presentation. 
Thank you so much. And there's just so many resources to pull in. And I love that you pulled in your own lived and personal experience as well as um, information you saw in other presentations. Um, I'm just curious, um, were there any other uh, social media statistics or facts or findings uh, that stood out to you? You know, I actually didn't find statistic until after my presentation, which I wish I would have found it before because I feel like it would have created a good discussion. But as we all know, TikTok is a huge social media app nowadays. TikTok is huge. There was a statistic that specifically Black teens have more tendency to use TikTok frequently than any other teenage girls, which I thought, and it showed up in a lot of places. It showed up in a lot of my research after, after I researched more after the presentation. And I was trying to do some more digging as to why specifically Black teens, there were some reported encountering about positive identity-affirming content related to their race, at least monthly on that platform. But that was all I could really find. That's why I kind of wish I found it before my presentation, because I was like, that would have created a great discussion. And that would have created a great discussion in that room. But that was a definitely interesting statistic or I guess kind of fact that I saw as I was researching after my presentation as well. I love giving presentations because of the dialogue, right? I mean, your role as a presenter is to provide information, but it's really food for thought. Um, so I'm just curious, uh, when you gave your presentation, um, what dialogue came from it? Yes, it was good dialogue because I've had, I had people in there that came from a business standpoint. I had people come in there that came from a parent standpoint. And I also had youth in there. We had a, a the Hope Squad from Middletown High School, and we had a youth perspective as well. So every topic that I brought up, I'll talk about more like the evidence gaps, the positive and negative benefits. They were, into, they were able to bring their own perspective based off of how they grew up and what type of generation they're in now. And each person was able to hear on each person, hear their perspective, and hear why social media has an effect and kind of relate to each other in a way. And it was a great discussion, a great collaboration to everyone in that room. Uh, well, thank you for um, spurring that great conversation because that's how we grow. Yes. One theme that you've been talking about over and over again as we've been um, sharing this time together is this dualistic role that social media is playing because it has the potential to promote peer connection and support, but at the same time, there's also potential negative effects. And so we really have the both and here. And so when both factors are true, something can have very positive affirming effects. Um, it can be tricky to navigate when there's also um, negative effects that are, are very real and can have serious consequences. So what are the, some of the positive benefits you found for youth who choose to use social media? Yeah, some positive benefits that I found was it provides immediate access to important information. Um, there was a, a lot of youth in my presentation and also me as well. You know, a lot of youth, they don't like watching the news on TV. And honestly, Twitter, or as we call it now, X, is kind of like our news. Every major news event that happens, the first, the first time I see it is on my phone, it's on X, it's on Twitter. It provides that immediate access to any important information that you can see. And it's kind of right there in your hands which is very beneficial because not a lot of people watch TV, not a lot of people watch the news. Yeah, so youth can build positive community connection with others who share similar identities, abilities, and interests as well. So let's say you're interested in a certain K-pop group, which is a Korean pop singer group. 
you can have those different people that you talk about with all day long about it. Because there might not be people in your real life who kind of understand that. So kind of it's a form of acceptance as well. You can create, you can bond, you can bond people all over the world. So if, you, if we live in Ohio, you can bond with someone who lives all the way in Paris, who lives all the way in Spain. It's very quick to connect with each other that way easily just through a little small mobile device as well. So now, Jayla, let's just pause and think of the flip side. Um, what are some of the potential negative outcomes or risks uh, for youth and young people to be aware of when using social media? Yes. And like I said, unfortunately, there are many negative outcomes or risks involving social media. One of them is the access to extreme, maybe inappropriate, harmful content that continues to be easily and widely accessible by children and adolescents. It is very easy to go on your phone and see any extreme, you know, inappropriate content that even though you can click a button saying, I don't want to see it or not interested, somehow it still, it still can pop up on your feed. It's very hard to, to kind of swish it off and take that away from your feed as well. And then that's the statistic. Nearly six in 10 adolescent girls say that they've been contacted by a stranger on social media platforms in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable. We've seen many stories about how there might be 12, 13-year-old girls being contacted by older guys, specifically on Snapchat. Snapchat is very bad for them because on any social media platform, you can create a persona, you can create identity. You don't have to put down your real age. You can put a different picture down. And that's very dangerous, like I say, especially on Snapchat because, well, Snapchat it also shows your location. So unless you turn it off, people can see your location on a specific map on Snapchat as well. So it's very dangerous in a way that you don't take the right precautions for your safety. Yes, you can end up in a bad situation. You do not protect your safety and your privacy on social media as well. And also, in a certain view of about 36 studies, I would say, there was a consistent relationship found between cyberbullying via social media and depression among children and adolescents as well. Cyberbullying is huge because, like I said, you can create a persona line. There's people that can just type and type away on their phones. Um, there are people that might be not by, might not be happy in their real lives. So they go on the internet and kind of take it on to other people. They start typing and typing away. And like I said earlier, you can create that persona. You can create that different person on social media and really create a whole new life for yourself. And that is definitely some of the negative effects about social media, which is unfortunate, which is what we are trying to change. But unfortunately, it's going to be there for years and top years unless we make change, unless we come together and collaborate with each other. Absolutely. And coming together and collaborating with each other um, is also doing research to see what is um, the effect of social media on young people and what are the positives, what are the negatives, and what do we need to pay more attention to? And in fact, you in your presentation identified a need for additional research to give us a more comprehensive understanding of the effects of social media on youth. So after exploring this topic in depth, presenting on it, hearing feedback from your audience, um, what are some data you think uh, that we could all benefit uh, to broaden our understanding of how social media impacts youth mental health. Some data that I thought would be interesting actually relates back to our other project, the social determinants of health, and kind of finding data around that, whether you don't know what people's housing looks like, access, education, you don't know what their home life is and whether they kind of take social media as like their comfort zone because they find that little bit of community or acceptance. You don't know if people don't have access to a trusted adult that they can talk with if they have any problems like that. So they kind of go to social media for that acceptance, for that someone to listen to them. 
Um, those are some of the data that I will be interested in finding and even finding more of. And I'm still in our research all the time about it because this is a very interesting topic and it's very prominent in our world today. And you don't know whether, kind of like Sarah, you don't know whether where people are born, where they grow up, where they live, where they work, where they're age. You don't know their environment. And their environment can really affect their mental health. So they use that social media as a way to kind of just talk it out, to kind of use it as a comfort zone. They don't have anyone else in their life that they can speak to. So that's some data that I would really want to look more into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how do you see your presentation growing every time you uh, give it? I would say the more research I do and the more I present, I really feel like the discussions that happen in the presentation, those really can carry carry everyone forward because after that discussion that I had in my presentation I went back and did even more research because I was like I never looked at it from like a business standpoint I never looked at it from a parent standpoint because obviously I'm not a parent but I looked at it from a parent standpoint but it was interesting to hear you know their point of view so I think the more you collaborate the more you have those discussions it can only push people and bring people together rather than having those separate um silos or uh, silos as they would say you come together for the same goal. And I think that could progress the more discussion, the more open-mindedness that you have about this topic. And that's one thing I love about prevention is that there's evolution on topics, right? You give one presentation at one point in time and you may never be able to give that presentation in the same way again. Um, and I know in your presentation, you talked about this notion of evidence gaps. Can you speak a little bit more um, to why you chose to include that in your presentation and, and, and why you felt that was important? Yeah, um, the relationship between youth, social media, mental health can be very complex. You know, as I was researching, there was a major concern among the scientific community as well and its lack of access to data and transparency from, you know, technology companies have created many barriers. And most prior research today had been focused on young adults or adults and generate kind of a range of results. And there are many critical questions that remain to be unknown or unanswered. So during my presentation, I had a section for evidence gaps and I separate each question happened to discuss after each question. So some of them is how do in-person versus digital social interactions differ in terms of impact on mental health? Or what type of content and at what frequency and intensity generates the most harm? Or how does social media use interact with the person's developmental stage for measuring risk of mental health impact? So is it different if they're 10 years old rather than if they're 15 years old? How does that affect from them growing up as well in their developmental age? That's amazing. And I think what I'm hearing from you is that there's no single solution when it comes to social media and, and young people or even adult use, really. And there's no single sector that's going to be able to come up with a solution uh, to counter the negative effects of social media use on mental, emotional, behavioral health um, in youth. So let's talk a little bit more about how you see a variety of sectors, individuals, and community groups working together to promote healthy use of social media. Uh, we'll start kind of at the broadest area. So what actions do you think could be uh, taken by policymakers? Yeah, and as I was in my research, policymakers, they play a very important role in addressing the complexity and the issues related to social media youth and use in protecting youth from harm. So developing those age-appropriate health and safety standards for technology platforms, um, protecting youth from accessing those harmful content that I was saying earlier and from other contexts such as substance abuse, 
such as violence, such as suicide, and also strengthening and enforcing those age minimums to certain sites as well. Absolutely. And we know from prevention that access to anything is one uh, item that's crucial to look at, whether it's access to the social media or access to something like alcohol or vape. Um, it's a big issue that needs to be looked at. And policy is such a strong solution for access. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you think technology companies need to do? What what actions could they put forth? Yeah, something actions are almost similar to policymakers. Um, technology companies do play a central role and have a fundamental responsibility designing safe online environments and like preventing, minimizing, addressing the risk associated with social media. Um, so I would say ensuring those default settings for children are set to the highest safety and privacy standards and kind of like what for policymakers, adhering to those in and also enforcing those age minimums as well. And also assuming responsibility for the impact of those products of di and different ages of children and adolescents, regardless of the intent behind them. Absolutely. Thank you. And I know you mentioned before that you um, are not currently a parent or caregiver. Uh, but what are some ideas do you have for those of us who uh, are parents or caregivers? What what can we do? I know our youth, they look up to their parents. So I would say for parents and caregivers, modeling a responsible and healthy relationship with social media as well. So if they see you kind of being unhealthy in social media as a way, kind of being on your phone a lot, they're kind of going to follow that act as well. So I would say create a family media plan. So whether that be to incorporate some tech-free times during during the day so that it could be just a family time without any technology. Encourage your children to appreciate those real-life friendships in person. Kind of create those like barriers between you and your family. So have those times maybe at 7 o'clock every single day. We're going to put our phones up for the rest of the day. Yeah, so creating that some media plan to help everyone in the household feel safe and have a healthy relationship, as I said earlier, with social media in general. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate um, that it's an active family decision, right? It's not parents and caregivers doing something to the children that are important in their lives and the youth and young people that they that they care about, but it's it's how they do something together, right? So I'm just curious: is how can youth and young people take care of one another when it comes to social media? Yes, that's a very good question. I would say, first off, take care of themselves. Don't be afraid to reach out. Almost like I mentioned earlier, reach out to a trusted adult. And if, I'm going to actually go back a little bit to the parents and caregivers. I forgot to mention something. During the presentation, like I said, we had a guy, a couple guys there who were at the business standpoint. And he's, he mentioned that, you know, he was at work a lot doing business, but he never really had that relationship with his daughter. And I feel like once you create a better relationship with your children, your children be more open to have those conversations with you if social media, if their mental health is taking a detriment due to social media as well. So for you, it is important to find whether they is a parent, whether it is a counselor, whether that any type of trusted adult in your life is important to talk to them if you're having any troubles. Um, another ways is, Muting, muting certain words or blocking certain words on social media as well. You, there's always buttons on there you can block for indefinitely for 30 days or maybe 15 days you can block it. I would also say on, on certain apps, I'm pretty sure it's on every app, on X, on Snapchat, on Instagram, you can create a block time. So you can go on, you can go on your settings, 
and say maybe every day at six o'clock, I want to stop using this. And it'll block the app for the rest of the day. So creating those barriers within yourself, maybe even encouraging your friends to say, hey, let's stop using Instagram at this certain time. Let's just focus on in first. Let's hang out. Let's go bowling. Let's go mini golfing. And kind of like what I said earlier, really, really expressing and really having comfort in those in-person relationships and really being building on that rather than building on something on your phone on that mobile device. Lots of really good tips to do, uh, you know, as an individual, as a friend, uh, or as a family member, as a, you know, being a trusted adult or caregiver. I really appreciate you going into details on that. I'm just curious, do you have any idea at the community level how communities can be involved with social media use and young people? Yeah, I would say I also took some of this inspiration because during my presentation for what parent caregivers can do, what policymakers can do, I left what community can do empty. And I let the people in my presentation kind of fill out what they can do for their community during the presentation. And a lot of them said, we need to just educate. We need to get knowledge, educate ourselves, and then we can educate the others in our community because a lot of people don't know why social media has such a hold on the youth. Maybe put on some type of event. Maybe put on a youth summit. Maybe have a local event at a YMCA, a park. Maybe collaborate with some other businesses around and really show youth that we have a community here that, that you can talk to that you have other youth that you can talk to that have maybe similar quality, similar interests that you have. And also have learn how youth in your community best take information and use that to your advantage as well. So whether, like I said, whether it is through an event, whether it is coming in and presenting to a group of youth at a high school or a middle school and really see how they take their information and kind of carry on with that. Absolutely. And, and kind of coming back to your areas of focus, I know you work a lot with safe communities and minoritized communities. Are there any special consideration for those communities um, that we should all be concerned about? I would say for the faith community is educate, educate, and educate more. A lot of people in the faith community that I have ran into, they would love for you to come and just talk about a certain topic just for their youth. They love for you to do a training, for you to do an event, to hold, I've held youth summits in the faith community as well. They love youth summits, having youth come together having different people in the community who know about this topic and present to them. And has, just having you someone to talk to is express out their frustrations of whatever they're going through, creating that open area and open-minded. And I think that's really progressing in the faith communities more presently and more now. Absolutely. Thank you. Because we know we have strategies that are good for everybody, but we also need segmented strategies as well um, in order to support uh, communities in the way they need and want to be supported. So I really appreciate you bringing that to the forefront. Um, we know that a lot of our listeners out there are prevention professionals. And uh, what role do you see prevention professionals playing in addressing issues related with social media and young people and youth? As me being in prevention myself, honestly, do what I do. And you need to gain knowledge for yourself at first. Do as much research as you can. Go to as many trainings as you can. And really kind of digest all the information. And maybe even try to go out and do those presentations and get the word out and really talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about it in any type of community, whether it's the faith community, whether that's a school, whether it's outside in your own county. Don't be afraid to talk about the problem and be open-ended and just talk about that elephant in the room 
And prevention using your resources is so important. There is so many times, like I said, I took inspiration from other people. Other people said I took inspiration from presentations. I took inspiration for even my old coworkers if they knew stuff. Using your resources, gaining knowledge for yourself, educating yourself, and then educating other people as well. Thank you so much. I think that you left our prevention community with a lot of really solid takeaways in our conversation. And Jayla, I could talk to you for the, you know, for the rest of the day, but we're getting close to where it's time to uh, park this bus and, uh, and, and moves forward. But we've reached that special time of our podcast where we ask our rapid fire questions. And I know our folks uh, love to hear these. And I know my own mom listens to the podcast and she always texts me with her answers. <laughs> so the first question I have with you is in keeping with our social media theme, Instagram or TikTok? Definitely TikTok. It was Instagram for a long time, but TikTok has taken over the past couple of years. Absolutely. Thank you. So do you vacation to do nothing or do you vacation to do all the things? Oh, it is a hard one. I'm going to say all the things because anytime I vacation, I want to make sure I get every single part of that city, of that country. So I'll say do all the things. And finally, our last question that we ask every single guest, you're reaching into that bowl of M&Ms. Are you going for the plane or the peanut? Peanut M&M's always. I just had some right before this. So peanut M&M's always. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jayla, for sharing your time, your expertise, and your experience with us. We are excited for your continued career growth in the prevention field and the impact that you have on your communities today and the impact that you will continue to have on the communities you serve in the future. If someone wants to engage further in the learning opportunity that you've created, how can they access it? Yeah, I would say just email me, ask me any questions. Um, my email is jlee at prevention-first.org. And if you need any questions, if you want more information about my presentation, feel free to contact me. Absolutely. We'll put your contact information in the Prevention First website, as well as the OCAMP website that you referenced early on in our show notes. Thank you all for listening to the Ohio Center of Excellence for Behavioral Health Prevention and Promotion podcast, prioritizing prevention, translating science to practice. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, of course, do that responsibly, or set the podcast to automatically download on your favorite channel. To catch all the latest action from the Center of Excellence, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, X, Facebook, at Ohio Prevention COE, or to visit us at preventioncoe.ohio.gov to sign up for our monthly newsletter. This has been the Prioritizing Prevention Podcast. For more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Apple Music, and many more. This program is funded by Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services. And for more information about us, please visit preventioncoe.ohio.gov. Thank you for listening.